All right, so take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn to John 15. I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to jump into this passage today. After three-week reprieve, hearing from uh, our missionaries last week, then hearing from Matt Silva the two weeks before that, um, I was thrilled to be able to glean from the Scriptures, seeing where you are at. But I'm going to tell you, I have been so ready to preach this passage. It's go time! Uh, so here's the problem, though. I was telling some friends last night about this. I've been sitting there meditating, or not sitting there, but everywhere I go, the passage for Sunday is on my mind. So for three weeks, this passage has been on my mind. And so I've been listening to sermons and studying commentaries, reading the Word, digging in as deep as I can into this Word, going back to notes I had in seminary, all over the map, getting ready for John 15. Well, the problem is, I sat down yesterday... And I'm like, how in the world is this going to happen in 45 minutes? <laughs> so I want to pretty much guarantee you that by the time 45 minutes ends, we will not be done with your notes. But we're going to just go ahead and take these things, and I'm going to give you homework to meditate on John 15 this week. And most likely, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in John 15, which is phenomenal. Because this is... This is an amazing passage. Uh, we'll talk more of that in just a minute, but this is so appropriate for where we are right here, right now. What am I talking about? Uncertainties, unrest, disappointments, I mean, disgust, discouragement. And, and what are we to do in all of that? Well, this is the whole series. If you're visiting with us or new here, uh, this is the series. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus and don't take them off of your Savior. And so for the last 15 weeks with a couple interruptions or breaks, different things in between, we have been looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Every Sunday taking another snapshot of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this morning we are going to look at Jesus, the true vine. Here's the... Here's a key idea that fits into our series, and then we'll work into the text as well. Um, actually, we'll extract from the text. Here it is. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the true vine. And it's going to be more than just fixing our eyes on the true vine. We're going to see this as we walk through John 15. It is going to be building our entire lives in vital connection to the true vine. Amen. Um, as a pastor, I want to say it's, it's hard to express... How important this passage is to our lives. Um, I told Eva I would share this, but I love our little Eva, and she is passionate to pray for her friends. And so in first grade, she brings her a little prayer box, and she's writing down little prayer requests and stuffs them in her prayer box and brings it home, and on, on, uh, in the evenings, we pray for them. Well, the other day, we were praying for one of her friends. I don't particularly remember her friend's name. But Eva's prayer was this, Dad, would you pray? And she named her friend's name. Would you pray for her grandpa? And I said, yeah, how can we pray for her grandpa? She said, well, his brain popped. <laughs> we kind of had a good little chuckle about that. And I, I know he had some health issues or whatever, maybe. I mean, working through that. And I don't know exactly how to translate that. But I will tell you what was going on in my mind. That's been your dad for three weeks studying this passage. 
My brain's popped every day. It's like I, I'm blowing gaskets trying to wrap my mind around this awesome passage. So when we talk about an important passage, this is one of them in the Scriptures. In fact, when I look at all of passages in Scriptures, I would say this would probably have to be at the top ten of any passage you would find. You can't really rank them that way. It's not fair. But if you were to do that, this in my book would be somewhere in the top ten. And if you think of it in terms of metaphors that God uses and particularly Jesus uses, I would say this would have to be towards the top of the list when it comes to metaphors. What we're talking about today is vitally important to every single thing we do as followers of Jesus. I was listening to a sermon a couple weeks ago by a fellow by the name of Paul Washer. You guys know Paul Washer? I mean, he's intense over the scriptures. And he just doesn't hold back and says it like it is. Well, he was talking about this passage. And I love this because almost any book or commentary you go to, at some point in that book or commentary, I mean, think about it, these books you read, they're going to point back to John 15 at some point in that book. That's how important this passage is. Well, Paul Washer was preaching on this, and he says, you know, when I look at this passage, I feel like I'm looking through a keyhole at an entire universe on the other side. That's how I've felt the last couple weeks. I'm looking through the keyhole of the scriptures, just overwhelmed with the universe that's on the other side of what God is doing in our hearts. Um, I mean, just look at this with me. Let's, let's just start off with looking at verse 5. Would you go to verse 5? You can look at it in the back of the handout. We'll read through this whole passage in a minute. But look at verse 5, if, if you would, with me. I mean, look how dynamic this is. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then this phrase, I haven't been able to get out of my mind. For apart with, from me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let that phrase sink in for a second. This is how vital this passage is. As in other times in my life, my heart's been gripped by that phrase. Nothing of spiritual significance I was thinking on this week. Nothing. Nothing of spiritual significance. Nothing of lasting eternal value. No true worship. No justification. No sanctification. No glorification. None of that can ever happen apart from Jesus Christ. When, when you think of this, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is the total inability of the unregenerate sinner to ever even think of finding spiritual significance apart from Jesus. And it reaches even into the life of true believers. In the life of the believer who has the total inability to grow apart from Jesus Christ. I mean, we pray every Sunday, God, grow us and you, brothers and sisters in Jesus. We can't take a single step in spiritual growth apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, as, 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 as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, you are complete in Jesus. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
We, we can't do a single thing in our spiritual lives of any value apart from Jesus Christ. And as we look at this passage, Jesus is getting this across to his disciples. And yes, here we are again in the upper room. Think of it with me on this, on the context. These words from Jesus in John 15, where are they happening? Well, we've been studying through this, John 13, John 14, John 15. Yes, we are back in the upper room. Uh, actually, I want to be clear on this. If you look at John 14, 31, um, it's possible that this discussion actually happens sometime between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. It's very possible that would happen. I mean, even as they're walking, I think, I, we, we did that several years ago. You kind of do this walk from where the upper room would have been, and you're walking towards the garden, and you can kind of see where it's at. I, I would imagine very possibly Jesus stopped with his disciples as they saw some, somewhat of a vineyard in a yard, and he started talking to them about that. It's also possible that Jesus said, hey, guys, let's, let's go, in John 14, 31, and then he started teaching them again. <laughs> it's not atypical to how ministry works. You think you're done, and then you got another hour of instruction. Nonetheless, what's happening here is Jesus is preparing his disciples for something amazing. I say amazing, but probably the word that's best is the word devastating. Over the course of the next 15 hours, Jesus would be betrayed ruthlessly. Jesus would be denied vehemently. Jesus would be accused improperly. Jesus would be beaten severely. Jesus would be sentenced wrongfully. And Jesus would be crucified sacrificially. Most likely 12 hours around that time from when Jesus speaks John 15 to his disciples, Jesus Christ is hanging on the tree for our sins. In 24 hours from when Jesus says, John 15, Jesus' lifeless body would be laid in a tomb. What, what do you think about the 11 disciples? These 11 disciples, they don't understand what Jesus is doing. In John 15, it's 11 disciples. Why? Because Jesus has already dismissed Judas. To be honest with you, when we read John 15, we're going to see Judas come up in discussion. Uh, you're going to see in the metaphor that I believe Jesus is clearly referring to Judas's. These disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying to them. They, they don't have a clue about what is about to hit them upside the head. They don't know what's coming. Jesus has told them. Jesus has connected the dots. They don't know. They're trying to figure it out, but the best they can do is argue who's going to be the best in the kingdom of God. Clearly, they don't get it. Remember what just happened as they potentially are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Guess what? They're walking there with clean feet. Why? Because Jesus just washed their feet in humility. That's what's happened in the upper room. They've experienced Jesus' foot washing. They sat through the Lord's Supper. But this Lord's Supper was a bit different than any other Passover observance that they had ever been part of. Jesus is now talking about a new covenant. Oh, this is awesome. When Jesus talks, he says, I am instituting something. 
You're not going to understand it completely, but I am instituting the new covenant in my blood. Uh, They sat through that. This new covenant dealt with the broken bread and the fruit of the what? The vine. As they participated in this Lord's Supper. And they, quite frankly, just don't get it. Their world, if you put yourselves in their shoes right now, think about what you would be like as a disciple, one of the 11 disciples or apostles, true apostles of Jesus Christ, walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you're trying to figure this out. Jesus is, quite frankly, saying some really weird stuff. Jesus has just washed your feet, and you just kind of thought, what is he doing? And he keeps making these discussion points to there's going to be some kind of suffering happening. You're walking with Jesus, and you don't realize that your world is going to be rocked. You enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, and what happens in the garden? Jesus said, would you guys just pray pray with me? They're sleeping away. That's what's going on with these disciples. And just prior to the Garden of Gethsemane, from the upper room to the garden, Jesus shares one of the most incredible metaphors that you will ever find in the Scriptures. This metaphor is foundational to everything believers are. Everything we are as followers of Jesus Christ. This metaphor defines a clear purpose for our existence as followers of Jesus Christ. This metaphor that Jesus presents in John 15 presents Christ's undeniable expectations for every follower of Jesus Christ. I don't believe these disciples knew the significance behind what Jesus is telling them in John 15. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's read John 15, 1 through 8. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. Jesus says this I am the true vine. My father, father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. I'm just going to say this right now. Next week we're going to jump into that phrase. Abide in me and I in you. What does that mean? Let's continue on with verse 4 though. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branch Branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is, I love this, what a recap. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So let's do this today. 
I, I just want to go through and identify the different characters. Maybe we get through this, maybe we put it off next. Week. Let's just start working through this outline. And I want us to, to, to see this story unfold. But I think the best way to do this is analyze the characters in this story, in this metaphor, and then to see the key concepts. I'll just say this. Two primary concepts that come from this passage are this. Bearing fruit and abiding. All right? And we'll get to that most likely next week. We might touch on one of them this week. But I want us to analyze what these characters are, who these characters are. You know this probably because you've been studying this since you were a little kid when you first heard this, but let's go back through and remind ourselves who the characters are in this story, starting with the first one here. Jesus says, I am the true vine. In verse 1. In verse 5, he says this, I am the vine. Okay, so very clearly in this passage, this is referenced to Jesus Christ himself. The vine is the clear source of life, of any life for the branches and the fruit. All right. You cannot have life in the branch, and you cannot have fruit if the branch is not connected to the vine. As simply as we can say that, the vine is Jesus Christ. Life courses into the branches, but only through the vine. Branches are sustained and fruit is produced only as the vine passes on all necessary nourishment. And this is the analogy Jesus gives. This vine metaphor was, I mean, think about this. It's, it's not uncommon, and I think we need to acknowledge this. This metaphor Jesus gives is not uncommon in, in, in Judaism. All right, even in the Old Testament of your scriptures, you constantly find the vine metaphor. But what is the vine referring to? In the Old Testament, it's referring to Israel. Think about this. Specifically to Israel, and in almost all of, if not all of those references, it's dealing with struggling Israel. Israel's struggling to fulfill its side of the covenants to God. This struggling Israel is the vine, and any worshiper of God is tagged into what God is doing through Israel. Now, what does Jesus Christ himself say in this passage? He says this, I am the true vine. Okay, very simply, what does that mean? I'm authentic, I'm genuine. I'm the real deal. All right? Um, I mean, we'll just jump to this, because we've referenced this several times. This is further indication, brothers and sisters in Christ, that all of the Old Testament, our scriptures, is leading us where? To Jesus. Jesus is a fulfillment of all the covenants and promises of God in the, New Test in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is constantly saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Now Jesus himself says, I'm here. I am the vine. Connect yourself to me. Worshippers of God in the New Covenant no longer find their significance in formal ties to ethnic Israel. This is very important for us to understand. We are connected directly to the true vine, Jesus Christ. I mean, if we go home rejoicing, it can be into that fact. I mean, we, Matt Silva touched on this a couple weeks ago. We don't need a high priest to enter into the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is that for us. 
We go directly into the presence of God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And that metaphor comes to life in this metaphor, the vine. I am the true vine. I want us to talk about the vine dresser for a couple minutes. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, this is very simply, some of your translations might say, the farmer. All right? Uh, the husbandman, some of your translations might say. God Almighty is referenced here. God is the one that's taking care of all of this. All of this fits in His sovereign plan. God the Father is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all life. And that is reference here to the vine dresser. I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. However, we get, I love this passage because we get two very vivid pictures of God the Father. Here's the first one. God the Father is the vine dresser who is also, who is the righteous judge. We can't ignore this in this story. Right? Sometimes we like to theologically tiptoe through passages like this. Oh, don't talk too much about God being the righteous judge. No, no you, you cannot ignore it in this passage. You, you don't have enough wide out to cover all of it in this passage. You have to acknowledge it. That when we get a picture of the vine dresser, there's some justice happening. There's some retribution based on his holiness happening. And where do we find that? Well, this righteous judge in verse 2, we find this. Every branch in me... That does not bear fruit, okay? We'll talk about this in just a minute when it comes to the branches. Don't take the two words in me in a formal sense like Paul does in Ephesians. Sometimes we think of in me as this vital connection, this union with Christ. That is not the words in me. In me is like in general, those connected uh, in me in general. We'll talk about that in, in just a minute. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6, if you jump down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is, and now we get a description of what's happening in verse 2. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. What do we have here? Friends, we have a very clear picture of the fact that God the Father, the vine dresser, is a righteous judge. But that's not the whole picture of God the Father in this passage. There's another part of this. I love this. The vine dresser is seen as the wise caregiver. What does verse 2 say? Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he he prunes that it may bring forth, that it may bear more fruit. We'll talk more of that in just a minute. But in this passage, we get a very clear picture of the vine dresser, this husbandman, this one who's taking care of this vineyard. And this, this one is cleaning out the vineyard. At the same time, this one is producing more and more fruit, or he's allowing for more and more fruit to be connected to the vine. He purges and he prunes. That's what God the Father is doing in this passage. Let's talk for a second, more than a second. Let's talk about the branches. 
Every branch in me, Jesus says. I, in verse 2, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, talking to these disciples. What are these branches, or who are these branches, I should say? These branches are those who find some sort of interest in, connection with, and approval of Jesus. Some kind of connection. They are interested in Jesus' ways. Every branch in me are those who find some sort of connection with Jesus. And if you want to put it this way, those who are affiliating with Jesus. Those who show interest in Christ. And I would add to this, two varying degrees. Branches are further described in this passage as good or bad. You can't deny it in this passage. What are these branches? Well, very, we get a very vivid description of what's known as fruitless branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What are these fruitless branches? I'm just going to share what this is saying. Branches that look like fruitful branches, but they never produce anything. Why? Because they only have a superficial, non-vital connection to the vine. They, they are connected to Jesus only as it's cool. Only in the superficial type way. Okay, if I could add a term to that that might make sense to where we are in our culture today, this would, would be known as cultural Christianity. Connected to Jesus in word only, but there's nothing in my life that connects me to the vine. Those who profess interest in Christ, but whose lives are not changed by Christ. Those who profess to believe, but actions don't match up. Practically, this is talking about counterfeit believers. If you want this explained more, we're talking about what James talks about in the entire book of James. False professors versus true possessors. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about in this passage. Um, by the way, in the immediate context, who would this be referring to? Just think about this. Who just left the party to betray Jesus? Judas. Let's think about Judas' life. Judas was in Jesus, in connection with Jesus for three years. He saw Jesus do miracles. He heard Jesus' words. He saw the theology of kingdom that Jesus was presenting. But when the rubber met the road, when the furnace was turned up, what did Judas do? He ran and betrayed Jesus. Fruitless branches are no joking matter. In a broad sense, who could this be referring to? I would say all those enamored with Jesus' stuff. Okay, we're talking about Jesus' talk and Jesus' worship and Jesus' community and Jesus' peace and Jesus' miracles and changing lives. Someone that's enamored with all of Jesus' things, but who is not willing to embrace Jesus as Lord and Master of their life. Not willing to jump in. I like to watch and just see what's happening out there. All right. 
worth noting about this is, is what is said of these fruitless branches, and we can't ignore this. This is, this is out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, and we're not going to do any theological tippy-toying around this. What does Jesus say? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We get a picture of the justice of God and what's going to happen at the end. But that, that's not the end of the story, because if that's the end of the story, we're thinking, wow, that's real bleak. There's another group of people that Jesus addresses here. And brothers and sisters, by God's mercy and grace and kindness, this is, this is who we are. If we've come to Jesus Christ by faith, true faith explained in the Scriptures, this is you and me. This branch, verse 2. This is fruitful branches. Verse 2, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I mean, he goes into verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, very practically, who is this talking about? Genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Genuine believers. Those who profess devotion to Christ and whose lives prove it by bearing fruit. By the way, what is this fruit? Have you ever thought about it? What, what fruit are they talking about? What is this fruit? I mean, obviously, in Galatians, you have the fruit of the Spirit. We have fruit being lives of people come to Jesus and all of that. But I love how this is defined, even in this very passage, by Jesus Christ himself. When you see the fruit identified in the upper room, it's talking about this authentically praying in Jesus' name, unashamedly praying in Jesus' name, faithfully obeying Jesus' commands. That's verse 10. Genuinely experiencing Jesus' joy and peace. Sacrificially sharing Jesus' love, actively witnessing in Jesus' names. This is part of the cluster of fruits from the life of a believer. What is this? This fruit is evidence that life is happening. That there's true life happening. That life is coursing through the branch. By the way, what happens, and this is very important for us to talk about, what happens to the fruit-bearing Christian vitally connected to the vine? What does the vine dresser do? Look with me at verse 2. Every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he what? Prunes. You ever spend some time trying to wrap your brain around what that means? He prunes. The vine dresser lovingly, graciously, thoughtfully prunes away portions of the branch. And I will say this, even good portions of the branch in our lives. In order to What? produce healthier, fuller, bigger fruit in our life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we can't miss this. In this text, to be pruned may be a painful thing. It means to be cut on. Pruning's no fun. I mean, in our family growing up, uh, we had a nice hedge in the back of our backyard in residential Aurora, Colorado. And my dad would get a hold of those pruning shears and my mom would run because 
or, or hide or just hope for the best. Because <laughs> he'd get done with that thing and it would look about as bare as you ever ex- imagined. This nice full hedge and all of a sudden it's like, what happened to the hedge? Well, I'm going to tell you, after he pruned it, it was amazing because when the, the spring kicked in, when, it, when, the, when the, the full-on growth period happened, that was a more healthy hedge. It was beautiful. And what happened is my dad had to go cut away some of the healthy branches. Why? To create more growth and better growth, more fruit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what's happening in many of our lives right now? Pruning. And guess what? It doesn't feel good. I mean, I, processing this this week and, and several conversations I've had, um, there are some in our body that are going through some crazy pruning right now. And, and you know what my encouragement to them was? Stay connected to the vine. Trust the vine dresser. He's doing something beautiful in your life. You may not see it now, but he's doing it. He's got a master plan, and watch as He creates in you something beautiful. Abide in Him, and He in you. That's this passage. I love what a uh, uh, guy I like to listen to at times, John Piper says, through pruning we see both, and I love this, through the pruning process we see both the internal care of the vine and the external care of the vine dresser. Do you understand that? That God, the Trinity, is caring for us through pruning. How? From the inside, the vine is coursing through the branches to create more life. On the outside, external, God the Father is cutting away some good things even in our life to create it. We are surrounded, just like Paul says in Romans 5 when talking about trials. We are surrounded. We are in His hand. No one can take us out of His hands. And He is growing us by His grace. That is what's happening to these fruitful branches. I love reading what what David Jeremiah said. I don't know if it was original to him, uh, but it's very possible it was. He says this, The vine dresser is never nearer to the branches than when he is pruning them. Think about that. The vine dresser is never nearer to the branches than when the vine dresser is pruning those branches. A quick pastoral word is this. There are some fruit-bearing branches that are going through some crazy pruning in your lives right now here at Cross Point Community Church. Physically. Uh, culturally, socially, relationally, financially. I mean, any one of those. Politically. <laughs> We're going through some crazy times. My encouragement is this. Trust both the vine dresser and the vine to get us through this. As we, I mean, we'll see this more in the next week. Abide in the vine. I want us to do this, though. Um, we're obviously not going to make it through all of this. Let's jump to the second key concept there. I, I mentioned this. In this passage, there are two key concepts. We're looking to Jesus, the true vine. And there's two concepts when attaching ourselves and being attached to the true vine. Here it is. One, abide in Christ. Two, fruit bearing. Abiding and fruit bearing. That is, those are the themes of this passage. I want us just to jump to the second one there, fruit bearing. 
This is true believers. Is, this is the point of the passage. True believers will bear fruit in Jesus. I mean, we can't tippy-toe around this. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. The fact is this, from Jesus, true believers will bear fruit. True believers will live differently because they are connected to the vine. They have a vital connection to the vine. There will be a difference because they have the life of Jesus coursing through them. Um, There's a very important note when talking of this. This is not fruit-bearing. Please catch this. Because very quickly, in our man-centered theology of life, we like like to think this way. We like to think of, of works that will gain us approval from God. That's not what this is talking about. This is not bearing fruit to earn a position in the vine. You catch that? You can't earn a position in the vine. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is not bearing fruit to earn a position in the vine, but bearing fruit because of a position in the vine. Please catch that. The sobering beauty of biblical salvation is this. True biblical, and I'll say this, true biblical faith is always a responsive faith. That's what James is saying in the book of James. True biblical grace will always be accompanied by enabled effort. That's true grace. In a Christian culture that so often abuses this concept of grace, we must remember that grace is always opposed to earning Catch that. Grace is always opposed to earning. You cannot earn favor with God. You cannot have the word grace and earning in the same sentence, if you understand what I'm saying. Grace is always opposed to earning, but this. Grace is never opposed to effort. In the New Testament, you find discussion on grace. It's always effort's going to happen because of grace. Grace is the enablement to do God's will. God, grace, enables fruit-bearing effort, subsequently proving that a real relationship exists. In fact, what does verse 8 say? Check out verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Um, I want to say this. There's a lot of theological discussion and writing about this passage. Hey, we kind of jumped all in today. For the last 30, 40 years specifically, there's been a lot written about John 15. And and there's a lot of of good views and there's some really troubling views. I understand some may disagree with me on this, but please note in this passage, this does not allow for some preconceived third category of people known as fruitless believer. Have you ever heard about that? So you would have a fruitful believer, a fruitless unbeliever, and then sort of will sneak in there a fruitless believer. No. I mean, you can't find that in this text. I mean, as much as you want to manipulate the text, you're not going to find in this passage fruitless believer. Sure, a branch may temporarily struggle through an unhealthy season of life. But please understand this, you will never find a true believer who does not bear fruit to some degree. 
Even if it's a little tiny fruit, (laughs) you're going to have some sort of fruit. Fruit will be present. And the vine dresser, if you're truly a child of God, and in this, this rings right with what, Paul, what the author of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews 12, possibly Paul. Here it is. The vine dresser will be actively working to produce more, bigger, better fruit. That's what the loving father does. I mean, I, I think we're going to jump right to the so wet section. I want to close it out today. And, and we got a lot to think about this week, don't we? I want to jump back in this next week. Talk about that other essential concept in this passage. Because the whole, here's the whole theme. Is look to Jesus, the true vine. As we look at this passage, we can't ignore this. Abide in me. What does that mean? We're going to look at that next week. But so what when it, when it comes to the discussion about branches? So what? If you were standing here to make application to this passage, what would you say? Well, hopefully we can ring right what the passage is saying. I think you'd have to ask this question. What kind of branch are you? Seriously. Are you a fruitless branch who is simply enamored by Jesus? Or a fruitful branch who is vitally connected to Jesus? Are you a branch that enjoys being a cultural Christian but who has not been changed by the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Or are you a branch that has a vital, thriving, growing connection with the Messiah? Jesus is your all. If God has revealed to you today that you are not connected vitally to the vine, let me ask you this. Would today be the day when you place your faith and trust in Him? How how do you connect to the vine? How do you do this? You don't do it. Jesus does it. And what's required in the Scriptures? Place your faith and trust in a good Savior. How are you connected to the the vine? It is by faith. Friend, this is true faith. True faith in the Scriptures is a faith that bears fruit. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The beauty of this entire discussion, discussion is this. You cannot earn your way into the vine. You cannot earn your way in. You can't be beautiful enough for the vine to say, okay, I want that. No, no, no. You do not bear fruit so that the vine will accept you. No, you bear fruit because the vine is in you and you are in the vine. So if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, would you place your faith and trust in the vine today? Let me just say this. It's no mistake that you're here today. No mistake. God Almighty is drawing you to Himself. Would you respond in faith? Maybe there's someone listening online. You've been battling this for months now. Would you come to Jesus Christ in faith today? If you are are vitally connected to the vine by faith, here's a key word, and we'll close out with this. It's the word persevere. Continuing on. Abiding in Christ. 
Will you persevere in fruit-bearing this week? I mean, this passage rings right with both justification and sanctification. Not just being in a relationship with God, but growing in your relationship with God. This week, will you persevere in fruit-bearing? Will you take your role as a fruit-bearer serious, brother and sister in Christ? Will you pray that I take my role serious? That we would truly bear fruit, growing healthy fruit, and that we would pray with Jesus in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God, I pray that you please give us grace to understand these truths. Oh God, I thank you for the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, about to go to the cross. Compelling true followers. So we pray every Sunday, Father, we're not here to play games. We are here to saturate ourselves in your mercy and love and grace. And as we interact with your grace, the natural effect will be that we bear fruit. And I pray, God, that you would so consume us with this concept of bearing fruit that there would be a community, Redding, California, Shasta County, that is so touched by Cross Point Community Church because that is a church that is bearing fruit for the cause of Jesus Christ. I pray that in my own life. Lastly, Father, I pray that if there's some here today that are battling with their relationship with you, that you would give them the grace this morning, this very morning, to call to you in repentant faith. That they would place their faith and trust in you as a good God. Friends, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed this morning, however you want to sit there and pray. Thank God for the passage we studied today, John 15. I'm going to tell you, we're going to have some homework to do this week. Going back through and studying this, looking at these different personalities, characters in this, in this metaphor. But would you pray this? That God would give you the grace to remain vitally connected to the vine. This is actually the point of the New Testament. Because you are this, now act this way. So here's the point of this passage, as we'll look more at last next week. Because you are connected to the vine, well, stay connected to the vine. Because you are abiding in Christ, well, abide in Christ this week. Would you pray that God would give you the grace to abide in the vine this week, to bear much fruit for the cause of Jesus Christ and the glory of God? There may be some here that understood most of what we talked about, but you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Would today be that day? I'm going to encourage you. Don't leave for home without settling this fact. Be in, in just a bit, there'll be different chaplains up here that are willing to, to talk and pray with you more about what we, what we discussed today. 
Lastly, I want to touch and pray on the concept of pruning. There's some right here today that you know you have a relationship with God through faith. You know you've come to Jesus Christ by grace through faith. But there's some serious pruning going on in your life. This morning, would you thank God for that pruning? The pruning is when God takes away some good things, but also some bad things in our lives. Some things that weigh us down from bearing fruit. Would you pray that you would not resist the pruning that God's doing in your life right now, the vine dresser's doing in your life? That you would fully embrace that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the passage we could study today. As we go through this, we undeniably are confronted with this thought that without you, we can do nothing. And so I pray, God, as we close out this service with an anthem of dependence, Lord, I need you. I pray that this would come from from our hearts. That all week long, we would call out, Lord, I need you that we would remain vitally connected to the vine this week and see as you bear much fruit in our lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things.